What's good, sports fans? We're back. This is the Sports Q&A Podcast. I'm Q. And I'm A. And yes, as Q so eloquently spoke, we are back on the eve of week zero, as some would call it, of college football season. Q, how has your summer been? You've been on an extended break, but you know it can't last for long. School is about to get back in session for some. We're back in the building. How was your summer, Q? It's been hot. It's been fun, but it's been hot. Well, that's a good thing. It's better than COVID. See, you know, it's been hot to you. I mean, it's hot in the summer, spring, winter, and fall there. So, <laughs> you ain't no complaint. I'd gladly take the hot. I'd gladly go back to Jamaica, too. If I <laughs> right. I definitely enjoyed my summer back at it with the hustle bustle of the nine to five. But most importantly, back at it with our true fans, our true listeners, people that listen to sports Q and A. So we are at what some people are calling week zero, and I'm going to really teach you all to stop calling it week zero. You all going to have the season start a week earlier. Then guess what, folks? It's week one. It's just like the NFL. It's 18 weeks. What is it, 17 weeks? 17. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. 16 games. They don't call it week zero because when somebody's on, just call it what it is. But the excitement is there. And we have a, the biggest spotlight that's been actually over these programs in a long while with this opening game on Saturday, which is a in-state rivalry, the Miami Hurricanes and – the Florida State Seminoles. Mm-hmm. And wrong team. You said, oh. Florida Gators. The Gators. I was about to get all sentimental and then talk about his love with the Seminoles. But we could talk about that at a later date. My bad. It is my bad. It is Florida and Miami. But with this game and it being a marquee game, a regional game, uh, uh, a rekindling of rivalry of two teams are trying to get back to uh, the promised land. What does this offer for a casual fan who are not a fan of either? And what does it do for college football being this is the only marquee game of this week? For the casual fan, this gives them an opportunity to really see if either one of these teams can get that jump to be a a favorite or a contender within their own conference. Um, now, Miami still has some, some, some things to achieve. I mean, they still have yet to win a division title since the ACC has gone to the Coastal. Uh, the division breakdown like they, uh, they are right now, the Coastal and the Atlantic. So they still have a lot to achieve. They have a new coach uh, with Manny Diaz. Um, and they have some some questions and issues at quarterback. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Whereas Florida, with a new head coach, well, second-year head coach, Dan Mullins, who was a part of the Urban Meyer championship run as an offensive coordinator, came back home, so to speak, and lit a fire up under the Florida Gators. And now there's an expectation in Gainesville that they can actually contend for the SEC East title with the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, I'm not ready to kind of say that just yet, 
But I, I really think this may be one of the most exciting Florida teams if they could keep some of their players on the roster that they've had in a few years, thanks to the fact that they finally have a quarterback um, and they have some, some, solid, some real solid players on the defensive side of the ball. Um, this is this is an opportunity, like I said, for the casual fan to see both these conferences that have really been at the top of college football on the prime time uh, on the prime time network at the prime time uh, slate for the game. So it's going to be interesting. Now, as far as like I said, the fans, this is a game to to start the excitement or bring some frustration. Depends on who wins and loses. Yeah, so uh, you have both teams really a huge win both their season. Uh, and you look at, at Florida, a lot of people are still riding away from their upset victory goal against, uh, against a team that ain't nameless, right? <laughs> but the Michigan Wolverines, of course. Uh, but it's just really interesting both these teams – Neither one of them, within recent history, uh, being the huge draw and the huge success, but this could be one that catapults them, and most importantly to the improvement of their team, catapults them in recruiting world. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it puts them on the spotlight. I mean, whether you're a a player, uh, you know, a positional player where they are already loaded or one who's – need that really can can catapult them to go up there with the the mythical rankings before people even play a game uh play football field but i'm looking forward to it uh it's been a while since i've seen uh college football i of course uh espn classic and when they do the 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 games on big 10 network and other things i watch it and just by the way folks Today, uh, seven o'clock was the opening of the ACC network. Uh, their connection with with ESPN. So, first uh, they watch on right now. But I'm excited for this, and man, we're just gonna jump right into it. We have a list of some teams uh, that are intriguing to say the least when it comes to this 2019. Football season. Uh, they got a lot of. And I'm on this randomly picking. We have five schools that have a lot to prove. Uh, and we're going to talk about them a little in depth. Uh, some may be uh, obscure to others because they may not be your traditional mainstay teams. But if you look at the recent history of college football, uh, they've been right at the table. So the first team I'm going to go ahead is. Everybody's underdog. The UCF. UCF coming almost back to the season. Uh, lost in the Fiesta Bowl last year. But they, I don't think they're going to go away so easily as they may because they lost their quarterback, Milton. Uh, Q, you have a little closer connection. I'm going to let you go dive in. About UCF and I'll follow through. Um, this is an opportunity, and and I had a conversation with someone on uh 
Twitter about the the whole up and down of UCF, how they've kind of struggled. Despite having the, the last two years of success, they've been a team that's been up and down. But when you look at who they really have been the last 10 years, they have more success than a lot of some of these blue bloods. I mean, I didn't realize this until I did some research, but uh, UCF has more 10-win seasons in the past 10 years than Michigan, Florida, Miami, I think Texas, and, and it's one other team I can't think of. And it's like, so, yes, they are the, the, the small school darlings, but they found some ways, even back in the days with George O'Leary, to get these victories. And we, we all, we can't forget the Fiesta Bowl victory over Baylor that really put them on the map a few years ago with uh, Blake Bortles and company. But everybody is trying to write this team off as a Cinderella, but looking at the talent that they're starting to bring in, and it may not be those four- and five-star talent, those rated guys that high, but they're getting enough talent where they're getting occasional four-star guy. They're getting key transfers, including – Another key transfer quarterback, Brandon Wimbush, formerly of Notre Dame, who will be who, who will be starting at quarterback when they take on Florida A&M University on August 29th. But they have some talent. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the like they they have at least four or five guys on the defensive side of the ball that will be playing on Sunday, led by junior free safety Richie Grant, um, wide receiver. Uh, Gabriel Davis. Um, so they, this is a team full of talent. It's just, okay, now when you're looking at the coach, people are wondering, is this because of Scott Frost? But now we see what Josh Heupel, the former offensive coordinator and former uh, star at Oklahoma, was able to accomplish. This guy is young enough and hungry enough to maybe continue this, this lightning rod of talent and success over the next few years and maybe – when we start, when we revisit this whole mega conference and restructuring of SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big, all these other conferences, maybe they get another call. And this time, instead of the Big 12, it's the ACC, and they answer that call, and now they're in a position to take it to another level. Yeah, so no, I think with UCF, People want to write them off, but I think they are probably uh, this deck uh, Boise. Mm-hmm. They were Cinderella. They came on. They uh, had some upset, and they stayed there for a while um, and battled. And I think that may be the one thing that may be difficult for guys been with UCF for these past for this last ride, especially these last three, four years. If you're a, uh, a senior or fourth year, uh, fifth year senior, you've been there throughout it all, from the undefeated team to all the way to where we are now. And it's a much different approach when you are not expected to win and you're the underdog. To now, everybody knows who you are. They're game planning for everybody, and they're no surprises. Uh, it's going to be interesting how they react. Uh, you mentioned Wimbush. I think that's going to be a key piece. Losing Milton, bringing in a uh, 
an established power five quarterback that can help move him along. Um, I just think that the fact that they are, uh, you know, no longer the Cinderella could play a big part. And they have uh, two key non-conference games in back-to-back weeks uh, with Stanford at home and then on the road to Pitt to actually supplant their week schedule pretty much that if they get those wins, that can be conversation starters to get people to talk about them legitimately because in years past, they were disqualifying them for a lack of victory. Now, granted, it's not necessarily the Stanford of where we are, but again, it's a power it's a power five con- uh, 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 conference team, uh, and you get them at home, so they got to travel all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast or Southeast, that may be an opportunity for them to continue to put the stamp on uh, the legacy that they are uh, creating as we go. So, again, the Knights, I feel, are here to stay at least for a little while. Maybe when when folks get the numerous offers they make uh, that they did cross left. So, uh, I'm excited to see uh, see this, especially the Stanford and and the Pitt game. See how they play against uh, foes not familiar with uh, that are better than just uh, Division One AA guys that they they may go against. So, speaking of the West Coast, let's talk about. Uh, Want to say thousand. For the, uh, the decade, arguably, USC. USC has had coming off of NCAA sanctions, lack of scholarships, and now they have arguably uh, the best wide receiving core, depending on who you talk to, number one or number two quarterback in their conference, a top five quarterback. And a coach that is probably on the hottest seat of any coach in America right now, with rumors already swirling that Urban Meyer is breathing down his neck as this may be his next stop after his second retirement. <laughs> um, but they're going to be a, a team to watch, and I think they're going to surprise people because they're coming. They, they were licking wounds from last year, but they come back with a lot of depth and a lot a lot more experience than what they have. And if they can get the clicking with JT Daniels and the, quarter, the wide receivers that they have, I think they will be able to uh, – the offense will be able to outshine the defense while it tries to get uh, its bearings about itself to – you know, try to go forward and and do and, and be a surprise team uh, when it comes down to the playoff situation. Yes, I did say comes to the playoff situation because again, the wins that they had and the games that they have, especially when they play them, could catapult them into that. So, what do you think about uh, the Trojans? This is a USC team that we're not used to seeing. Um, 
when you look at the the inconsistency at two positions in, in particular, quarterback and running back, think about it. Ten years ago, we wouldn't have never thought about USC as being a team that struggled to find at least above adequate quarterback play. But when you look at the struggles of JT Daniels, um, not really living up to the hype that they were bringing him as a, a true freshman, um, there's some things that you have to wonder what is going to and, – and I say this about a lot of the, the blue blood, so to speak, their, their rise and their fall rest at the feet of whoever is taking the snaps under center. And as we've seen the last two or three years with USC, they've struggled at the quarterback play, at the quarterback position. And then you add in the fact that they haven't really hit a home run with running back in a, in a few years. I can't think of the last big time USC running back since maybe Joe McKnight um, a few years ago. And that's been a while. So when you look at someone like a, a true fresh uh, freshman, Marquis Step, uh, they have a, a guy that has the size at six foot two thirty. but will he produce and will he be able to have that, that offense that will showcase him in that run game until the quarterback gets ready. I mean, also, when you look at the fact, when you're looking at the Pac-12 and, and USC, they struggled recruiting. This was one thing we never had to worry about with USC. Um, they would run the, the Pac-12, either finishing first or second in recruiting. And this year, coming off the 2019 recruiting cycle, most people had them third behind Oregon and Washington. So now you're seeing, okay, are they getting what's going on? Is it because these players, these recruits aren't trusting, are, are seeing the instability at the coaching position? And they're not – because even – I have to believe, even with the struggles on the field, USC is still the premier program in the state of California. You have guys that – and they still have pipelines at some of these powerhouse schools, high schools in, in, in that area where you would think, okay, these guys should be still able to grab the players that they want at positions they want. I mean, we saw the whole debacle with the, the Brew McCoy saga, uh, committing to USC, transferring to Texas, transferring back to USC. Hopefully he gets some things figured out. I think he – ended up being nicked up. So he's actually behind the eight ball and figuring out things. But luckily, he's at a position where, like you said earlier, they have a wealth of talent. So he's, the expectation isn't there for him to produce. But what about some of these other guys? You look at the top um, 10 recruits coming out of that air, out of the Pac-12, USC only has two. When have we ever seen that? They have Kyle Ford, a wide receiver, and Drake Jackson, a uh, defensive end, in addition to Brew McCoy, who will put them as three. Um, but they have to have some guys on that defensive side of the ball that are difference makers. And until they figure that out, I have to believe that, like you said, the whole conversation about uh, Urban Myers making this his next stop will have to get louder. Yeah, uh, it doesn't happen. But when you talk about it this time, when it Last time when it was the state thing, they were talking about it during this time and fruition. Uh, I'm not even going to get into if he comes back or <laughs> what that means. Um, this is the time because as a coach, 
you don't want to feel like you're the lame duck coach and players don't want to feel that way. Uh, and you definitely don't want to see your successor come in and just rack up off of your your hard work of your recruits and your players that you have. So this is an opportunity that they haven't had in a while, and it could definitely catapult them, like you said, the few, the, the, the small number of players that they've gotten in the recruiting cycle would definitely increase uh, and take players away that tend to, that would tend to be in uh, uh, tend to be in LA, but now they're all over the conference or over the country. So they got to go back and get those players that to be a national power again. And I think it's possible, but this season is the season that's going to catapult it. Otherwise, it's going to be a refresh, unfortunately. So now we get to talk about Quinn's team that he. <laughs> which is Florida State Seminoles. Um, Florida State is a situation where uh, and Taggart, uh, who has to put his stamp on this team. Uh, they had a, a just a horrid season. They look they look bad. Um, they weren't the worst, but they weren't far from the worst. And he has to find a way to put his stamp on this on this season, and you have Blackman that is, looks like possibly because he's still a tagger still is quiet as kept on this quarterback uh, battle that should be the quarterback coming out for all intents and purposes, uh, and they get a boost the shot in the arm which they really need offensively with uh, the younger Bryles being the offensive coordinator. Um, I think that that change alone is going to give them that offensive push that's going to keep them ahead of the Mason-Dixon line when it comes to winning and losing. Now, if they can play well offensively and put up 30 points a game, that gives their defense a lot more wiggle room than they did last year when they wanted to say that Florida State averages about 21.9 points a game which was crazy for a storied program such as that. So being in the ACC, which for all intents and purposes is a weak conference with the exception of the top tier, which is one of uh, Clemson, uh, they can really do some things by upsetting some, uh, some teams that are favored to go ahead of them and getting their names back on the back on the map, and uh, you know that Clemson is earlier in the season. Uh, it's like the sixth, seventh game. It's on uh, October and twelfth. They're at Clemson, but that game could be that Syracuse game that Clemson has every year. Right, that trap game. I'm sure at this point in time they take Syracuse as serious as they do Alabama because they don't want to get tripped up, but. Uh, this could be that game where they think that, you know, just based on what Florida State has done in recent history, that they're going to walk over them. And this could be the, the game that they can shock the world. Um, don't think that that game – I don't think that game will stop Clemson from making it to the playoffs if they went out. But this could be a huge game uh, for Florida State and catapult them back to where they feel that they belong. 
Yeah, I mean, it's when you look at this the stats compared to the level of talent that they are recruiting at Florida State, it's you have no choice but to look at coaching. I mean, like you said earlier, 21.9 points per game, which had them ranked 112th in the nation. And despite the issues at quarterback, they actually were a good passing team. They finished uh, 29th in the nation, averaging 270 yards passing. But the issue was they couldn't run the ball. Despite having Cam Akers, who two years ago was one of the best, could have been regarded as one of the best freshmen in the country, they averaged 91 yards per game, which put them at 126 in the nation. There's no reason why a ACC team and let alone a Florida State team should be that bad running the ball. You should be able to just call random plays or have, the, based on their schedule, you should have at least two or three games where you run for over 200 yards easily, and that was not happening. And then when you look at the, the, the flip side, despite having some, some guys with some, some lineage behind them, when you look at Stanford Samuels, the third, Asante Samuel Jr. at playing at cornerback, they were ranked 119th in the nation in passing guards allowed. So it, it, something's not right, and maybe this is a matter of coaching. Maybe they're not buying into what uh, Willie Taggart is selling. I mean, I haven't lived in uh, Tampa, and which is not too far from Tallahassee. I, I, I spoke to a lot of Florida State fans, and they were all they were skeptical of this hiring from the beginning. And he's done nothing to quiet those jails. And it's like, okay, where do they go from here? And, and that's the unfortunate thing with a lot of these programs. If they, if there's a misstep at coach, I mean, outside of what we were talking about with USC, where they, they may perhaps be able to get uh, Urban Meyer out of retirement again. But when you look at Florida State, Michigan, who we've yet to talk about, and even Texas, like if those teams stumble again at that coaching position, where do they go? Now, for Texas fans, we'll get to them in a second. They're, they're a little bit more confident because they think Tom Herman has turned the corner. But where does Florida State go if Willie Taggart is fired? And it's like, okay, they don't have the, the, the coaching tree like a Michigan or the, the status of a Notre Dame that can just pull anybody in the country. So they're, they may be forced to, depending on how well the offense go, they may be forced to hand the keys over to Kendall Browse, and that could continue this spiral of ineffective coaches and guys that really should not be at Florida State because they're not that pedigree of a coach. So it's, 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 this is a pivotal season, and there's no reason why statistically – Florida State should not be a lot better than what they are. And, and I think if they can get some of these rankings out of the top 100 and, and at least get them into the top 70, that should put them at seven, eight wins, which should get them in the bowl game. But will this quiet the, the experts and the fans and those boosters who are tired of losing and have quickly forgotten about that championship season under Jimbo Fisher? True. That's true. So you, you may mentioned Texas, so what's the what's the game with the record last year surprised some of this year? You, you know how Texas fans you know they're 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 arrogant they want to be back at the top. Are they gonna be 
the top team They they still have to contend with Oklahoma. I think like Michigan and Ohio State, despite Texas having won the game last year in the regular season, their their obstacle is still getting past Oklahoma when it matters. Now Texas has done a, a great job um, recruiting. Um, Tom Herman is, I think, this year, last year, did a good job establishing his his way of thinking, his way of, of executing. And now he has guys that he trusts at every position just about. Um, there's still some questions at the, the running back position, but I think that's one of the easiest positions to get rectified in college because there's not too much variation between what you do in high school and what you're doing on the next level. But they just have to find ways of winning games. And, and people forget they lost. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that alumni and, and some of those players in burnt orange are glad to not be facing Maryland anymore anytime soon because they've lost two straight to that, uh, to the Maryland Terrapins, which they shouldn't have. And I think that kind of put them in a tizzy early on. And, and unlike two years ago, they were able to bounce back. They suffered two losses versus uh, Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And it's like, those are the games they have to be able to win now. And I think this is just like with uh, Lloyd Carr, Michigan, a few years ago. You can't be dominant and then lose to a, a, a middle-of-the-tier the, middle uh, Iowa team or Minnesota team. And that's what that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and those West Virginia losses were. How can you now get up for those games like you're getting up for the Oklahoma game in the Red River shootout. And it's like, it's, it's, it's an opportunity, like I've been saying, for them. And now they, they, have, they have the talent. Um, they're at, right behind Oklahoma when it comes, if not above Oklahoma when it comes to recruiting. They're, actually, they're still competing with Texas A&M a little bit more, but within keeping in-state recruits. But they have the talent. They have some of the best players. And, and just looking at this right now, the top 20 recruits either went to Oklahoma or Texas in the Big 12. And that's crazy how much of a dominance those two teams have monopolizing talent. And it's just time now for Texas to take that next step. And that next step for many experts is a birth in the college football playoffs. Yeah, I mean, looking at their schedule, they matches <coughs> up well for them. Um, on paper right now, it looks like their toughest road game is probably TCU followed by West Virginia, depending on how West Virginia balances out. But they get Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech at home, as well yeah. as, as, well as non-conference LSU at home. Right. Which is going to be a huge test. So the the, the schedule guides have kind of aligned for what the expectation is probably for um, Longhorn fans. So again, the opportunity is there. Will they take advantage of uh, of that opportunity with a favorable home schedule? Definitely for sure. Uh, so the Longhorns are 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 going to be interesting. So we got two more teams to cover. Uh, we'll save the 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 last for last. Uh, <laughs> the next one we have is Houston Cougars. Houston Cougars, uh, who 
last couple of years have defense. Uh, got the prodigal son to come on back uh, to leave West Virginia to come back home. And he takes over a veteran team. I, the thing is, is that I don't think any other coach that has switched positions has has inherited a more uh, veteran team that you can build upon and have instant success than uh, Ferguson has. Um, the defense is going to take a step back, uh, losing Ed, and uh, but offensively, with his offensive mind, and if you don't know of his offensive mind, just go to uh, YouTube and uh, research West Virginia offense, and you'll see some of the most dynamic plays that you've seen. But again, he's a high-risk, high-reward type of coach. He, he's a riverboat gambler like uh, Ryan Rivera. But he had he had a dynamic offense. I think what he's going to have here eventually, and he may have inherited, is he's gonna have a higher he's gonna have a higher talent level than he had at West Virginia. Because uh-huh. he is in the recruiting bed of Texas, uh, which is huge. And if he can take a bigger a uh, big chunk out of the Texas recruiting market, um, he's gonna have instant success uh going forward. So um and he may catch a team sleeping the first game of the season that has a quarterback change uh, in facing Oklahoma the first game of the season. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that this is a match made in heaven. Uh, and, you know, coming back home at this point in time, because he was added good in West Virginia, you know, never was able to get over that hump, but was always competitive, always an exciting team. But losing uh, Will Greer, and uh, and uh, Steels and some other players, it probably it was the it was the best time for him to exit. But he inherited uh, arguably the best team of any coach that switched teams during this offseason. Yeah, and I think this is the thing we'll see with him taking going down the step. Will the defense <clears throat> play a little bit better? Excuse <clears throat> me. <clears throat> Under him, we know. Defense is optional in the Big 12. And even in some with some of these schools with the uh, American Athletic Conference, but because of his his scheme and his his the availability of certain t- levels of talent, he may be able to overcompensate some of those deficiencies that he couldn't in the Big 12 in the AAC. Um, now, the schedule, like you said, is going to be tough. They opened up against Oklahoma in Norman. Then they also host Washington State, which is not going to be an easy game when you when you look at Mike Leach and that potent offense. So those easily could be two losses, but I think those are two losses that could end up, depending on how well that offense plays, could catapult them to a very good conference season and put them in a position to do some things in the AAC, if that means, even if that means uh, being in contention for the West Division Championship with Memphis. So I think the, the the excitement for fans down in Houston has to be okay. Yeah, we may not be ready to do what UCF did last year, the year before, and, and, and be in contention for the college football playoff, but we're setting ourselves up this year for it to possibly take place next year or the year after next because we are in an area full of talent in the Houston, Texas area, and we have a coach 
that has a, a pedigree of playing with, of being able to play with the best of them in the Big 12, and now we have some talent. Now the question is, with this being King's, De'Aaron King's senior year, does he have somebody or will he be able to find someone quickly that will be able to take over for him and continue that continuity at the position? Because, I, and I say this till I'm out of breath, college football is won or lost at the quarterback position. If you have a quarterback, the chances are, and it doesn't have to be someone that's spectacular, but if you have someone that can execute your game plan and do what you want them to do, the chances of being successful is so, so much further ahead than a team that has talent everywhere else but is struggling at that quarterback position. And I think Houston, moving forward, if they can figure that out, and because they're going to get these the 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 skilled players, they're going to even find some some ways of getting some some defensive players once they know Holgerson is going to be there. Because I think that's also the question that some of these future recruits are going to have: is how long will he be in Houston? Is this a pit stop or is this a resting stop? Because um, he sh- he shocked a lot of people by leaving a what everyone would consider a better job at West Virginia to take down the steps. So we have to see what he what the whole plan was for him is this to say, okay, I can go to the, I can go to Houston and be King and know if I get the right players in my right system, I can win that conference year in year out and then possibly put myself in position two or three years from now to be in that conversation when they, if and when they expand the college football playoff to get my birth that way. Whereas with West Virginia, I was going to be busting my head against Oklahoma, Texas, and some of these other teams in that bigger conference, and I wouldn't have never got that chance. Yep. And, again, he had an opportunity to, like I said, access to more uh, more uh, athletes than he could get in Morgantown. So last on the list, if you know anything about us, you know that Michigan is going to and I'm going to go first because I have been more productive time uh, recently within the last years than uh, Quinn. But uh, I see, I may see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I really uh, need this team to not rely on the defense as much. Uh, I can deal with a bend but not break defense. Uh, I really want to see. Um, what the offense is going to look like with Jim finally giving up the reins of his old pickup truck and parking it in the garage and at least getting an upgrade and watching how things go. Um, the, the biggest question I have is that running back. Uh, Higdon has gone to the Texans. Uh, Evans made an error in judgment with academics. So you're waiting to see who is going to be the one that rings the, the, the Kyle Bell. Um, could it be running back by committee? Yes. Uh, probably somebody is going to step up. Uh, don't know who that's going to be out of camp. It could be anybody. But in this first game, you need to be running almost uh, similar to what uh, West Virginia ran, what Toledo runs is 
running back by committee. This drive is just running back. Next drive is that. And then whoever, then second half, whoever's hottest, that's who, who goes with it to really see who wants it. Uh, because you don't have too many spots in your schedule where you can uh, try to figure it out, especially in the meat of the schedule. Um, and I think Patterson, with I'm 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 going to say I'm certain to whatever level I can be certain that the reins are going to be taken off the passing game because the wide receiving core that they have uh, is dynamic, but they haven't been able to play that way based on how the offense uh, was uh, an old-fashioned offense, a power pro-style offense that won Super Bowls and championships in the 80s and early 90s, not, not in 2000, uh, the 2010s. So uh, I'm just really waiting to see what this offense looks like. If there is a semblance of a flow to the offense, uh, this is going to be an exciting team. Don't know to what level, but they're going to be competitive. And then I don't need the defense to be end all be all. I do need it to be stout. And I think that they have uh, the makings of that. They have some few questions for losing uh, a lot of key players from last year's team. But I think the development of, of what they have behind them is going to uh, not make that drop if there was no other year that an infusion of new blood in the coaching staff was was important and needed, I think it was this season. Uh, Josh Gaddis offensively and Sean Newell on the defensive line, I think are going to play bigger dividends than what a lot of people expect. Um, I'm going to actually start on the defensive side of the ball first. Uh, what we saw last year and even the last couple of years under Don Brown were teams that defenses that feasted on the little sisters of the poor. But when you had schemes and talent that was equitable, they struggled. Um, and I think because they, 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 they had issues kind of matching that intensity. But what I've been hearing out of camp up there in Ann Arbor is that Sean Newell, uh, formerly of uh, Arizona State, and we saw what they did against Michigan State last year. He's brought a, a new intensity a, 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 and reinvigorated a defensive line, and I think that had kind of gotten stale when you look at what Coach Madison was doing. I mean, how do you have guys like Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, and, and, and that talent and get no sacks on uh, Dwayne Haskins last year against Ohio State? That's coaching. That's that goes back to Don Brown. That goes back to Greg Madison not having those guys ready. But I think because now they have a new ear in that coaching room, in those meeting rooms where they can't slack off because this coach has no loyalty. He has no allegiance to any of these players. They now have to play for someone new. And I think that's going to lift the intensity offensively, speed and space. Um, one thing I've been hearing and it still has to be executed because there's questions about whether Gaddis has called about Gaddis being able to play call, but they don't, the tempo has been increased. We saw games last year where it's like, why aren't you, you're down. Why aren't you playing faster? Why aren't you playing with a sense of urgency? Everything I've been hearing in the last couple of interviews this past week, a week and a half, they don't huddle. So that means that they're, they're getting to the line quicker 
If that means keeping the defense the defense off balance, that's that's the offense plays has inherent advantages over a defense in all these games. But Michigan wasn't taking advantage of it like they should have when you factor in the level of talent that they had year in, year out. And I think because Gaddis has something to prove, and if Harbaugh really lets the reins go and, and lets him do what he does, I think there's gonna, we're going to see an offense. They're going to have some hiccups. They're going to have some moments where it's like, oh, man, they missed it. Or they, there's going to be some missed opportunities. But there are going to be plenty of times where you see, oh, where was this play at last year? Or if they could have had these sets of plays in the, in the playbook last year, they would have beat this team where they had to play it a lot better. So um, I'm, not, I'm not as worried with as you are about the running game because, like I said earlier, high school, making that transition from high school to college, running back is one of the easier positions. So you have somebody like Zach Charbonnet coming from California – who USC missed out on. Um, they've, they they rave about this guy. He was an early entrant, uh, early enrollee, but he he had surgery, so he missed spring ball. But they've been saying he is a workout warrior, and he's he has a level of maturity to where it hasn't been seen at that position as, from a youngster in a while. So maybe even if this guy gets you six, 700 yards as a, a true freshman, that puts you in a position where now the play-action pass kicks in and now you can take advantage of having one, like you mentioned, uh, USC having one of the best uh, receiving groups. USC, Alabama, Michigan, are and, and Clemson, in my position, are the top four receiving cores in the nation. Um, it's just Michigan hasn't, had, hasn't been able to execute it. And when you look at guys like Ronnie Bell getting accolades, Mike Sanistrill, who's a, one of the freshmen, getting accolades. Uh, Corn Johnson, who's a true freshman, getting accolades. This is enough talent where even if they do sustain some type of injury, they have bodies to keep it going and take advantage of that speed and space. That's true. And the offensive line is, is uh, much closer to the, the rotating of NFL caliber offensive line uh, of – Yesteryear than it was of 225 guy uh, pound guys playing the line uh, under Rich Rod. But right. we're, we're we just got off of Michigan and now let's talk about the Big Ten Pac-12 because uh, they've been getting snubbed something uh, with not getting teams in the playoff or not getting the champion in the playoff of their conference as well. Um, do you think they will get snubbed again this year? Um, I think honestly, this year, this is the year that the Big Ten gets back into it. And surprisingly, I was watching college football today. Um, Samuel Atro brought up the possibility of them getting two teams in because he's he saw, and this was like just extreme prediction. So I, I think he was using a hot take in this uh, in this in this context, but he saw where Ohio State will run the table, but lose to Michigan. Michigan won the Big Ten, won the conference, so they automatically in because they won the conference. And Ohio State would get in also because their only loss would be to Michigan. So there's a there's a strong possibility. 
but you have to have when you look at these the schedules for both of those teams and the propensity for both of those teams. Michigan has to beat Ohio State, and Ohio State has to beat teams that they're supposed to beat. When you look at even everyone wants to focus at the Purdue loss, but when you look at what they did even against Maryland, that game should not have been that close. That Minnesota game should not have been that close. That uh, Nebraska game should not have been that close. So I still wonder, even if they beat Purdue, would they have gotten left out because of the the, the closeness or – the the issues with those other games. Yeah. So with me in, in looking at the, the Big Ten, uh I see that it's between three legit contenders, Ohio State, and Ohio State is regardless of new coach, uh the talent level. Uh that talent level will get them through eighty percent of their games unscathed. Is really about how much will the coaching change, how much would uh, through the attrition of players, how much of that the losses are going to play a part in those tough games. Um, that's the key with, with Ohio State. With Michigan, their offense have to be has to be more productive. All things are trending towards that, uh, but because you have to in the game in, against teams like Ohio State, you're going to have to outscore them. You can't have a game plan that you're going to keep them under 15 points or 20 points or whatever your average was going into that game. You're going to have to outscore them. You're going to have to slow them down, but you're going to have to outscore them. Uh, and, and Michigan State is on this list. It may surprise a lot of people, um, but Michigan State is returning one of the top defenses in the country. And I'm not going to say what other people last year, working season was a fluke because they kept carting him back, back out there whether they say he was hurt or not but if he can they can get a manageable offense offense and an offensive flow to put up a certain number of points uh, they're going to be right there in, in decision I mean October and November is going to be where champions are decided in, in the Big Ten with so many especially Michigan with their backloaded schedule for some reason this year playing Michigan State so late. Um, it's going to be interesting, but I think between the three, they're not going to all knock each other out. Uh, I think it's going to be one, but I think it, it may be uh, two lost teams out of that. It'll be one one lost team, and it'll either be an undefeated or another one lost team out of those top three, but I think that one of those one lost teams will be one to get in. On the Pac-12 side, to me, again, I just think it's the, the conference overall is just weak. Um, and I, people won't be surprised, but I said it earlier, I think the, the one of the two teams that I think that has a shot or anything is, is USC. And I just think because they can get, you know, they have the, 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 the mantra, the name, and if they have a, a big victory against Notre Dame, no, no matter what Notre Dame's record is, uh, they have that that could catapult them to go through and win the Pac-12, and I think the other one is is uh, Oregon. Uh, Justin Herbert, if he can lead that team all the way through, it it could give him an outside shot. I mean, because he's getting all the hype of being the best player, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and I'm not just saying it because he's my quarterback in Madden in my second season after I traded Stafford. <laughs> 
uh, for for the number ten draft pick to uh, the jet the Giants. But I, those are the only two chances. I think I looked at the other other team schedules, and I think their schedules are weak. I mean, Oregon starts off at Auburn. That's going to be a key. If they win, it's going to catapult them. And, and that November second matchup against USC at USC could be for the conference championship and could be for a uh, vying for a playoff spot. But this is still a way too early prediction. But that's what I, well, that's what I see right now with what they what they have. Yeah, I mean that's that, I can see that. I just don't. I'm not buying the Pac-12 yet. They still have – it's not strong enough, and I think because they'll beat up each other. Like Now, Oregon, like you said, has the, the best opportunity, but they still have some questions defensively and finding some weapons for Herbert. So I think they'll end up being a two- or three-loss team when it's all said and done. Yeah, well, I mean, I can see that too. Speaking of seeing, are you tired of seeing – Alabama and Clemson in the national championship. Short answer, no, because the best teams are there. I mean, this isn't like with the NBA where we saw Golden State and pe- people are kind of writing them off, even writing them into the championship game or the NBA finals before the season started because they knew they were going to be there. College football is a situation where any given Sunday, well, mostly any given Sunday, Saturday, um, you can take one on the chin. Or if you don't play as well as you should, you may drop down a slot here or there, and that could cost you an opportunity. Um, Clemson has done a great job. I mean, Alabama is Alabama. And, and I think – they have shown some chinks in their armor, and they've shown themselves to be beatable. But Clemson is, and we know what Clemson is. Everybody is looking at Clemson as, oh, this, this long-standing powerhouse. But not too long ago, what was the phrase that they used, they had coined about Clemson and their inability to win when it mattered? Clemson. And this is, this is maybe five or seven years ago. So this isn't such a a dominant team where we figure, oh, they've been there forever. And even when you look at recruiting, and I had to tell somebody this, this year for the 2020 class, not 2019, is the first time that it looks like Clemson will end up with a top five recruiting class. They've been winning with class, I think the highest rated class that they had prior to the 2020 class was a top seven class, number seven. They've been, they've had a few top 10 classes and a bunch of top 15 classes. So I think this is a testament to uh, Debo being able to get a collection of talent and win with that talent. I think and you will want, I mean, outside of being a, a South Carolina fan or a Florida State fan, you you have to respect that because he he wasn't getting a bunch of five stars and winning. This isn't USC from a few years ago. This isn't even Texas who had their plethora of five stars in top five recruiting classes or even Michigan and couldn't do anything with it. So there's been a slow ascension for this team. It's just they, no other other teams in the nation haven't been doing their job. And it's not like we, it's, oh, uh, the NFL or the NBA where you only have 30 teams. 
you have a, a, a enough teams in this nation that can say, if we do what we're supposed to do, we're in contention. And I mean, we just talked about one in Ohio State. Think about it. If they they play well enough after that Purdue game where maybe they give somebody a shot, maybe they knock off Clemson, maybe they knock off – they didn't do what they were supposed to do that one weekend in Purdue, and it cost them last year before last. They didn't do what they were supposed to do that one weekend in Iowa City, and it cost them. So, I mean, you, you can be upset, oh, I'm tired. No. The best teams sometimes generally find their way into these championship and these playoff games. So, I'm going to ride out with it. Yeah, and, and as a fan, even if you hate on the SEC or Bama or even Clemson, you still want the best matchup in. Yeah, you may want your team in, but – your team may not go stand a shot if they're not at that level. If it's a debate in five, six, seven, eight range, what chances do they have in reality? Right. Situation where, you know, an SEC a, a conference champion has two losses and they come in as the four seed, uh, but that still may not help you. So, you know, the best teams get in and – and I'm still a proponent of increasing the, the number, but the best teams will still get in. The argument is always going to be there for the ones who are just outside, but the best teams are going to get in. So until somebody can beat them, just grin and bear it. Championship game, which is uh, Bama versus Clemson, until somebody But come to the close of this uh, college football preview uh, show. Definitely want to make sure that you follow us on uh, social media, uh, sports underscore QA on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, sports Q&A, our website, www.sportsqnda.com. Check out new articles, preview uh, top five things for Michigan to win, players to watch this uh, season, more content coming, upcoming, uh, in the upcoming uh, weeks and days as the season about to kick off. But we want to provide equity when it comes to uh, college football and sports in general. And there's a faction of college football, a uh, smaller uh, uh, faction, uh, but nevertheless a, a, a strong historic content to it. Um, and that's the HBCU Classics. Uh, the Classics... Uh, are basically a traveling homecoming uh, where you have teams, the usual, uh, the ones that have been around the longest teams that have been battling for decades, if not centuries, um, or a century, not centuries. But um, we're going to go ahead and highlight these, um, these classics and the locations and then kind of highlight – uh, some of the teams that are in more than one where in where you can check them out. So just going through the list, uh, first weekend of the season, you had a John Merritt Classic, which is in Nashville, Mississippi Valley State versus Tennessee State. Uh, this one intrigued me because I have two of my players from my high school that's at Mississippi Valley State. Uh, so if this is a thing, probably within the next two years, I will be at this Classic to go check out my students. Uh, uh, you also have a, a Hall of Fame class that takes place in Canton, which is between Alabama A&M and Morehouse. 
This is the first annual, and the NFL is getting behind this, so it's going to be interested uh, if it's going to stay the same teams or how much backing it's going to be. Uh, uh, I understand it being in Canton with it being the Hall of Fame. I really want to see what the attendance is going to be like uh, considering the matchups that they have. Now, granted, both of these uh, schools travel well, but Canton is way outside of both of their uh, regional areas. So I want to see how that's going to do. Hopefully they include the uh, school districts of Canton, Cleveland, and Akron uh, to try to get some of these uh, student athletes and school districts involved in attending that game. Uh, we uh, had a Labor Day Classic, which is between Tuskegee and Alabama State, which is in Montgomery, which is on – uh, uh, which is on September 7th, but I missed another one from the first MEAC SWAT Challenge, which is Bethune Cookie versus Jackson State, which happens in the ATL. Uh, week three, you have the Southern Heritage Classic, which is Jackson State versus Tennessee State in Memphis. Uh, the Chicago Football Classic, which I've attended before, uh, the 14th, uh, Hampton versus the Battle of the HUs. Right. That right there is something to be seen because if you know anybody that attended either one of the schools, they that their school is the real HU. But guess what? We're going to be able to see who the real HU is this year. Um, the next one, week six, the one is uh, I've attended multiple times, and this one I have a little more uh, stake in the game because uh, my alma mater plays in the Kentucky State versus Jackson State. Uh, it's in Indianapolis on the 28th of September. Uh, <laughs> this game right here was really interesting. We're playing in there, which we played before. We played Central State a couple of years. Uh, Jackson State travels well. They're 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 in a higher division than we are in. I'm not claiming anything, but the thoroughbreds are gonna come represented. Um, I'm gonna leave it at that. The State Fair, <laughs> State Fair Classic was actually in your neck of the woods. The Grambling State versus Prairie, which is Dallas. Yeah, I still have yet to attend that game as long as I've been down here. And I think this may, depending on how my schedule works out, I'm going to try to find my way down there. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in addition to the game. And that's with all of these classes, like you mentioned earlier. It's a traveling homecoming. Generally, the, the Greek organizations have a, a great turnout. Uh, and this is an opportunity for, especially with a lot of these games being up north, for students that are in high, high school students to get a feel and understanding of the influence of these historical colleges and universities that tend to kind of hover below the Mason-Dixie line. So this is a great opportunity. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm going to try to make it out for the Prairie View versus Grambling game. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to see if I – actually, I'm going to see if I can get some media coverage access for it people have been kind of iffy down this way. So I'm, I'm going to put in and just see what they say. Fans, put pressure on Q to get to that game. Make him get there. I, I gave you permission to, to badger him and <clears throat> to get him down. Uh, the next game is the Down East Viking Classic, which is in week six as well. This is in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, between uh, East – uh, Elizabeth City uh, State University and 
I want to say uh, Fayetteville State. Fayetteville. I was about to say Fort Valley, but there's no V in there. So Fayetteville State. Um, week eight, we have the 84th Tuskegee Morehouse College Collection, which is what? I don't know what this this name can't be correct because it's Miles versus Morehouse. Uh, Where? It's in Columbus, Georgia. But no, they got it. No, it's it's Tuskegee versus Morehouse. I'm looking at it. Uh, that, so, this, uh, so this is wrong in there. So it's the 84th uh, meeting in this. So it's Tuskegee versus Morehouse, uh, which they used to be in the same conference, but Tuskegee moved up to be one. Um, the different conference, what? Um, so that's October 12th. Uh, and week 10, you have the Whitewater Classic, which is in, of all places, Phoenix City, Alabama, where my great grandmother lives. Uh, Lane College versus Tuskegee, where my sister went to Lane College and my cousin went to Tuskegee. So that's a family affair all around uh, for me. Uh, that same week, you have the Magic City Classic, which is the Battle of. Alabama State versus Alabama A&M in Birmingham. Uh, then next week, you have the Fountain City Classic, which is in Columbus, Georgia, Albany State, Fort Valley. Which both of those teams, when I was in college, were in my conference. And week 13, you had the Old Man River Classic, which is in St. Louis, which features Kentucky State University versus Lincoln University. And the granddaddy of it all, the one that gets the biggest pub, the national NBC coverage, the Bayou Classic, which is Saturday after Thanksgiving 30th in the NO New Orleans Southern University versus Grammar State University. So if these are, are in your area or you want to see what the black college is about, and don't give me this that there is no talent in there because there are tons of guys every year that go from uh, HBCUs NFL uh, really want to check out a lot of these will be on TV but if you check it out live you, you will never miss another one so again just to, to kick off of this season I'll just give you a highlight of the teams if you're in in a specific team, Jackson State is the only team that is appearing twice. I mean, three times. Uh, I want to say that Morehouse now is Morehouse is twice. Uh, Alabama AM is twice. Alabama State is twice. TSU is twice. Tuskegee is twice. And actually, Tuskegee is three times because that one is messed up. And then Kentucky State is twice. So if you're looking to see uh, a specific team, uh, then you can check them out for sure. And before I, I, I have to make a couple corrections, having lived with somebody, well, living with somebody that's from the state of Florida, um, there's a, a there's a, a perception that the Bayou Classic is the biggest one, but actually, and this is one that you missed, the Florida Classic actually is a bigger game. Now it has more national. Now the Bayou Classic has more notoriety and is on TV, but the the Florida Classic actually has a bigger turnout and has a bigger, a longer standing history between Florida and them, 
and Bethune Cookman. That game is going to be played on November November twenty third at in Orlando um, at the what used to be the Citrus Bowl. Also, one other game locally for me, um, where um, the weekend of where did I see it? Oh, uh, Texas Southern versus Southern on November, October nineteenth. That's the State Fair showdown. It's the highlight of the Texas State Fair here in Dallas. So that's another game. So for those that are in the Dallas area, you have two opportunities to see some good HBCU college football take place. So those are games that you really want to check out and make sure you have an opportunity to see. And also I got to show some love for uh, a spot that I used to live in Charlotte, North Carolina, the only HBCU in the city, Johnson C. Smith, they take on uh, – where is it? Uh, they play um, – dang it, I just saw it. Uh, um, they actually play um, Livingstone College in the commemorative, commemorative Classic in Salisbury, North Carolina on November 9th. So, as Al said, these are games that everybody has access to they're going to be some in the north, some in the south. Um, games even as far as west as St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and I think this is one you forgot, and I'm shocked because it involves your alma mater, the St. Louis Heritage Classic between Kentucky State University and Lincoln University out of Missouri. That's November 23rd. Um, they're, they're going to be playing that game at the, Saint, uh, the Dome at America Center in St. Louis, which is the former home of the – the LA Rams. So as I said, there are plenty of other games that we didn't even get to that. And there, there's a couple of different sites and we'll be sure to tweet these out so you can have access to them. There's no reason not to support these teams. And as we said earlier with the, the black college hall of fame classic with the NFL being involved, it's going to be interesting to see how much support we get in that game and how much coverage, because that, if that game goes well, in addition to the, the 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 some of these other games, like you said, the the Bayou Classic, the Florida Classic, the there's an opportunity to kind of reshape. And there's already already been some conversation of how the enrollment of HBCUs have kind of been an uptick based on the the climate of the of the country. So now it's time for some of these recruits and some of these uh, high school football players to recognize that there is an opportunity for you to make the at playing some of the even with playing at some of these schools you look at Darius Leonard who is the reigning defensive rookie of the year played at South Carolina State you look at Tyree Cohen who rise to stardom took place at North Carolina A&T so these guys, if the talent, if you have talent, they will find you. So the, the whole notion that, oh, you can't play at these schools because they won't find you, that's – you you got to leave that back in the 2000s. Yeah, so. that's true. And then you mentioned recruits, and I shared this on the Facebook page, but former five-star recruit Calvin who was on uh, Auburn's roster and as well as Florida Atlantic, transferred to FAMU. So he's the first five-star athlete to play for HBCU since the star since the rankings uh, five-star the rankings have come up. So again, he has connections. He's from Orlando. His wife attends Florida State, so close to his family. Uh, but again, this is something that we talk about 
before of athletes, you know, where in today's society you can get exposure no matter where you go. So finding the right fit in the right situation, you can still reach your goals if professional athlete, uh, being a professional athlete is your goal. So with that, folks, we're going to be out of here. Make sure you're glued in. Uh, this, this episode will come out. We're going to be more diligent with our weekly shows. Give us some feedback. Uh, via social media on what you like, what we need, to add, uh, who we need to have on. We're gonna go back and get some, getting some more live guests in here and some more input as well. Uh, but definitely appreciate you all for checking us out, and we will holler at you all next week. Peace. Peace.